It is good to pursue the presence of God together. Hmm. So we, uh, if you're just joining us, by the way, my name's Kyle. I get to be one of the pastors here. Um, I always say one of, just to have us open to the possibility of the ways that God calls other people to lead and serve in our church, right? Um, so I'm, I'm glad to be with you. We are in a series on Jesus' ability and desire to heal not just like the physical wounds of our body, but the wounds of our spirits and our memories and our hearts. And so um, excited to be on this journey with you. And this is a video testimony in this regard uh, from our friend Joey. What caused me to seek um, inner healing was just a lot of anxiety and it would just regularly interfere in our life and kind of hijack moments that were otherwise beautiful and peaceful. So that helped me to kind of pursue doing some EMDR uh, with Emerge in Akron. Definitely like really skeptical, didn't super uh, like the idea of going to therapy, uh, didn't really feel comfortable trusting somebody that I didn't even know. Okay, so there was this one particular day um, where I was basically going through um, this lie, um, the core lie that we focused on was that this belief, and this isn't something I would have necessarily like plucked out, like this is something I know I'm struggling with. You know, it's something we kind of isolated over this, this time. And so several sessions in, we kind of isolated this lie that I felt like I was defective. You know, it's like that lyric um, from John Mark McMillan. It's like, I don't trust a fool. I don't trust myself. <laughs> and uh, the truth that we were replacing it with was that I was fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, what ended up happening was, is during EMDR, one of the things you practice is um, going to a safe, calm place. And so my safe, calm place was my boat on Mosquito Lake. Um, this one night that I remember, and you alert your five senses, he said, we're gonna do something different. I want you to invite, um, you know, I want you to essentially invite God onto your boat. Um, you know, he's like the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, like kind of just whoever, you know, shows up, like, like let me know. And sure enough, in my little boat, you know, I'm, uh, there's, there's Jesus sitting on this one little, little stupidy spot. And I can remember this as, like as clear as day. And so this is basically just asking Jesus to come and intervene in the moment. It was really good, like like some of the truths that came out that were really good. Um, but what was really highlighting to me was he said, okay, well that's great, you know. So now thank thank Jesus for, you know, coming onto your boat and, and just return to your safe, calm place. And I'm like, okay. So I am like, you know, gonna honor that. And, and, uh, and so I try to go back on my boat and do the whole little thing and like go through the textures and meanwhile, Jesus is still just sitting there in the same spot. And like, I'm having a crazy hard time alerting my five senses and doing the thing that he wants me to do because Jesus won't leave. I'm sitting there and I feel silly because he's like, have you gone to your safe, calm place yet? And I'm like, actually haven't, haven't been having trouble. And, uh, and so I tell him like, I'm sorry, like, I'm sorry. Like, and I'm even telling Jesus, like, you know, I want to like, thank you. Like, I want to honor this guy. Like, I'm not trying to ignore you. Like, you know, and like, I'm having this internal thing going on here in the therapy. And, uh, and, um, basically what he was telling me was like, you need to be able to, to rest when I'm here because I'm not leaving. It's fine for you to take your attention um, into these other places and to do that with me. And it was like this incredible invitation. And what ended up happening in those little five minutes was he was showing me that he's still, he's still making me. And, and he was showing me that like, 
I'm, I'm uh, like, like that it was, it was actually like it was possible for me to not be defective because I wasn't like just made at a single point and then sent on. Like I was like stamped in a factory and whatever defects were there are just kind of continuing on with me. It was like, I know I'm continuing to be made all through eternity by this one who won't leave, by this perfect capable one who won't leave. And because he won't leave and because he's still making me, I could actually believe that I wasn't defective. And it was just like, it was, I'm, I'm like crying, like I, I didn't even expect that. And, uh, and um, I'd never cried in, in therapy up to that point. Uh, and, uh, and it was just so, so stinking powerful. And, and honestly, like the regular anxiety that I was having, the regular panic attacks, the regular disruptions in me and Julia's life that had become so consistent like like such a part of our life that we were just used to it um, kind of almost numbed to it kind of like here we go again and like me like being like so feeling defective because i can't stop this thing it it stopped visiting on any sort of regular basis it was amazing like we both were kind of like wow it's kind of been a while since i've had any sort of major issue i would i would definitely uh want to encourage others to pursue this honestly i think you know it's an incredibly worthwhile um, pursuit and 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 just humbling yourself that little bit for me to get over that nudge and even allowing things to be sloppy in the beginning and allowing there to be this um, perceived disharmonious relationship with a counselor or with somebody you're confiding with where it's like they don't really understand even getting through some of that swampiness um, I think can be like really amazing and quick quickly earned low-hanging fruit because what you find is when you have a little barrier like that you're not going through, like that's like a stronghold in your mind, like I'm not going to go on the other side of that fence. Well, what you find on the other side of that fence is a lot of low-hanging fruit that you've never accessed. A lot of really easy wins that are like, oh, like I've just not gone over here. And so I've not really realized how easy some of these breakthroughs can be because I've avoided this like the plague. And so I would really encourage people to get over those because... Um, there's only a lot of encouragement and healing on the other side and and you're gonna have to live with that stuff whether or not you choose to deal with it or not and it's gonna affect your life whether or not you choose to actually interact with what's behind those walls so welcome to regen we like to keep it surface level here <laughs> surface level um, so the reason that, uh, so Steph was last week, Joey's this week, we're working on some other videos throughout the series, some testimonies, and um, there's kind of two ways to interpret, like, who's going to be in these videos, and one of them could be, um, oh, it's just like the same old, same old people. The other way to interpret it is um, leaders go first. Leaders go first. So the leaders in our church are going first to inspire everybody else to follow, okay? Um, and so that we're leading out of some lived experience in these areas of, of inner healing. And um, one of the things that we've been covering in this idea of inner healing is that there's, there's a variety of ways to experience Jesus' joyful power and presence in our wounds. Um, inner healing prayer, counseling, um, discipleship mentoring, even, like, even in deliverance ministry, you're going to hear all of those stories um, uh, over the next few weeks as we continue to, to press in. I want to start this morning with using, invoking your imagination. Are you ready? Yes. 
I want, thank you, I want you to um, imagine or recall, recall using your imagination a time that you were reunited with someone you love, okay? So it might be um, after not seeing your son or daughter for a really long time, it might be seeing your spouse, this is a test if you have a good marriage or not, Uh, seeing your spouse after they've been away for a work trip, Uh, or maybe seeing a friend that you've not seen in a really long time. I want you to imagine what it felt like to see them again for the first time and how you felt. Are you doing that? Okay. Um, Here's a, uh, now some of you might be young in love. Some of you, like, you know, you're a teenager, you just started dating, and it's like, after not seeing your boyfriend just for like through sixth period, right? And then, <laughs> oh my gosh, I missed you. Um, but uh, here's a picture of me reuniting with Jack. He was about seven months old in this picture. And I had to go away for a four-day, three, four-day seminary class. And that was the first time I'd ever been away from him for any length of time. And so I got back in the car and I actually climbed into the back. And you can see my face looking at him and you can see in the mirror there, his face looking at me, and we were making eye contact and smiling so big, just so glad to be back together. This picture, this is a picture of joy. Okay. Uh, I've been on a journey, Steph and I have been on a journey, a lot of us have been on a journey, learning what joy means. And being raised in kind of Christian environments, my understanding of joy was that it was this should this, this characteristic or character piece that I should attain to, right, Jesus, others, and you, or, you know, um, and that I should have it all the time because I've got the joy, 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 where? Down in my heart. Again, if you were not raised in Sunday school, that's another example of not really missing much. Um, but, but, I, uh, uh, but what I've come to discover um, in studying Scripture more carefully and then reading some recent research by neuro neurologists and biologists and people that understand the human brain is that joy is less something to strive after and more of a relational reality to be experienced. Joy is what we feel when someone is glad to be with us. So when Jack and I were seeing each other, we were glad to be with each other. I was glad to be with him. He was glad to be with me. And this morning, I want us to think a little bit about joy like that thing, I watched some of you remember, like remembering that moment and I watched your whole body change, okay? Like your body language, posture, your neck loosened up, right? Your face changed. Even when Joey was talking, right? Joy is contagious, right? I smile at somebody, they smile at me. Uh, and so uh, there was something contagious even about Joey's joy in that, um, which is kind of also just Joey's superpower, really. But... Um, um, Joy, the reason we're talking about joy today is because joy is a vitally important piece to the journey of inner healing. That's why we're talking about joy as we're talking about inner healing as experience Jesus's joyful presence and power in the midst of our wounds, right? So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Psalm 16, but we're just going to talk a little bit about some things first, and we're going to start in the field of neurobiology. Uh, This is, this is your brain. Well, it's not your brain, it's a brain, right? Uh, And your brain, it is one of the most amazing things that God has made. This three pound piece of fat 
does so much. Um, your, your brain is divided into two halves or hemispheres, kind of this way. And the left brain, the left hemisphere, is broadly responsible for functions related to willpower, belief, conviction, problem solving, math. I don't understand math, so clearly that side of my brain, pray for me. But um, the right brain, this side, is responsible for relationships, attachment, attunement, emotions, identity formation, and joy. In fact, the joy center lives right behind your right eye, right frontal cortex, right here. Now, a dictionary will tell you that joy is happiness, and neuroscience agrees. It just adds it with a twist. Joy is a kind of happiness. It's the kind of happiness you experience when someone is glad to be with you. So again, we were out of town this week. Steph, was, uh, Steph and I were in Fort Wayne working with some church leaders in the areas of discipleship and mission. Our, some of our team were with us. Jack was with his kids and also Miss Randy and Mr. Jairus, but mostly with his kids. And... Um, uh, uh, so we come over to their house on Wednesday night to come get him, and Jack goes running toward the door, mommy, 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 and he picks, Steph picks him up, and he holds her so tight, mommy, mommy, and he's running his fingers through her hair. If you don't know, Jack has a thing for Steph's hair. Uh, when he brings a woman home with dark hair and he runs his fingers through her hair, that's how we'll know she's the one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, um, and so that's joy. That's joy, right? That was joy that we were glad to see each other. God created us to experience joy right from the womb, right? That was his design. Uh, in the 1950s and 60s, there was some research done on psychological disorders in adults as it related to the attachment they experienced to their mothers right out of the womb. Jim Wilder writes about this research in his book, Living from the Heart Jesus Gave You. He says, in a child's first two years, the desire to experience joy in loving relationships is the most powerful force in life. In fact, some neurologists now say that the basic human need is to be the sparkle in someone's eye. Now, some of us, when we were born, from the very beginning, we had the great fortune to be the sparkle in someone's eyes. We were wanted, we were expected, and if that's the case, the part of your brain responsible for joy is like a well-developed muscle, right? Um, it, 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 someone with a, raised in a high-joy environment like that, where they knew they were the sparkle in someone's eye, they're likely to be incredibly resilient. I mean, have you ever noticed some people just bounce back from stuff, right? They have a high resilience. Odds are someone with a high joy level has a higher immune, immune system capacity, uh, marriages, love joy. They feed on joy. The best marriages are marriages where there's joy. Steph and I have the opportunity to do pre-marriage counseling and marriage counseling, and, and we know one of the things we're kind of intuitively looking for as we do that is where's the joy level in this relationship, right? Uh, joyful homes produce resilient and bright kids, right? That muscle is, is really well worked. Now, some of us, unfortunately, were not the sparkle in someone's eye, were we? We weren't wanted. We were a surprise. There were some things going on in our home uh, in those early years that made us an inconvenience or maybe we were being used for something. And when that happens, that part of the brain responsible for joy is just not as well developed. And that's why you just know people who just get stuck in hard things, right? 
They get overwhelmed by emotion and kind of can't get out from underneath it. Um, They're critical. They're full of shame or guilt. Um, They're angry. Um, Sometimes, you know, we joke about people being like Eeyore, don't we, right, or a Debbie Downer, but odds are those are just people that that joy muscle isn't really well worked. And when God made the world, that's not what he had in mind. He did not have in mind uh, that we would be in low joy. In fact, there's no more joyful community than Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living together in perfect love and joy, right? God himself being glad to be with God, right? And out of that overflow, out of that abundance, God creates human beings. And from the very beginning, y'all, we were the twinkle in God's eye. He looked at us and said, I am so glad to be with you. Now, sin enters the world, and here's what's really interesting. It's not that God, when sin enters the world, God is still glad to be with us, right? Adam and Eve go hide themselves in Genesis 3, and they say, we hid because we were naked and felt ashamed. And God just says, who told you? Who told you? Who told you that you were naked? Right? He's so sad. He's still glad to be with them. See, in sin, we're not glad to be with God anymore. We go hiding. What I want us to think about this morning is how God launches a rescue plan to bring us back into his joy, right? How you can read the Bible through that lens. I want us to look at joy in the Bible together. So we've looked at brain science for a minute. I want us to look at joy in scripture and kind of bring them together, okay? Um, the word joy is, is in the New Living Translation of the Bible. It's found roughly 330 times. Now, that includes like joyful or joy. It does not include rejoice, okay? Um, 330 times. How do I know that? I looked, right? And, and, and I want to show you kind of some buckets that these words kind of mean and, and what happens in context. You see, sometimes joy in the Bible does speak to like a gladness or hap- happiness that the people of God uniquely possess. It's true, right? And that gladness is often expressed in worship, Right? Uh, Joy is found in the Bible in expression of celebration and victory. So there's these feasts that Israel does, right, throughout the year, and there's joy then. They have joy when they win over their enemies. Um, Now, then there's these places in the Bible where joy speaks to how one person feels about another. So a a woman named Leah names her son Asher just because she brings, it brings her joy. That's what his name even means. And um, I love how the early church is talked about. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, I think, or 47, 46, you know, somewhere in the middle, uh, it says, they worshiped together at the temple each day and met in homes. Okay, just small advertisement. Real quick, time out. The church's pattern of life together is temple and home, gather and scattered. Now you know why we call our church, when we, get, we do this, what do we call this? A gathering, not a service, but a gathering, because I'm trying to train you to think, gather and then scatter. See what I'm doing there? Not just being neato, I'm trying to build some family culture among us, okay? Um, The church gathers and scatters. They worship together in the temple each day, met in their homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with what? Great joy. joy. Read it as, they were glad to be together. Sat in some church meetings that did not feel this way. Uh, So have you, but they were glad to be together call that a squad goal for us, yeah? We're always, we're glad to be together. Now let's get to the good part because there's this last bucket, 
there's this last bucket of how joy is used. And as I was looking at all of these verses, it began to look like, uh, I began to notice that the word joy showed up regularly in connection with the tabernacle, the temple. Um, my, gra- my grandmother would tell me right now that the angels are bowling, that's what she told me. <laughs> Grammy, the angels are bowling. Um, uh, the tabernacle, the temple, and the Ark of the Covenant. Now, these three things in the Old, Old Testament are the places that you go to meet with God, right? The tabernacle, the tent of meeting, the temple, which is a permanent tabernacle, and then the Ark of the Covenant is the, like, the GPS location of God's manifest presence on the earth, right? And in all of these passages associated with the tabernacle, the temple, and the Ark of the Covenant, do you know what shows up is joy, Right? So they go and retrieve the Ark of the Covenant in the beginning of 1 Samuel and bring it into the city. And as they do, David dances with joy, right? Um, They go into the temple and they rejoice in worship. In Leviticus chapter 9, Leviticus, a boring book of the Bible if there ever was one, except it's not. Do you know what the book of Leviticus is about? And your sins will be forgiven, right? And so the beginning of the book of Leviticus is all of these instructions, detailed instructions for all of these sacrifices that we're going to make for these kinds of sin and that kind of thing and at this time and at that time. In Leviticus 9, the priests do a sacrifice. Go home and read Leviticus 9. It is in precise and gory detail, okay? They cut this and the blood. And then at the end of the chapter, it says, the presence of God burnt up the offering and they fell to their faces in joy. Because all of the sudden, there was a way for sinful people to be with the God who is glad to be with them again. It's incredible. And there's two Psalms uh, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 84 and 65, that describe people who live in the temple as people who dwell in God's presence, whose lives are marked with joy because they're living with God who is glad to be with them. Um, Psalm 84.4 says, what joy for those who can live in your house. Isaiah promises that we will be filled with joy at the end of days when we are gathered into God's house of prayer. Glad to be with God, glad to be with everybody else. Jeremiah says that we will weep tears of joy when God leads us home. We will have joy when we are near God. Zephaniah adds this, that when God gets near us, he is overjoyed. Listen to Zephaniah 3.17. For the Lord your God is living among you. The Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Here's something I do as a dad. I'm weird. I am constantly singing songs to Jack about Jack. Like, just about his life and what he's doing. Little Jack Mosey with your stinky toesies, right? Like, these are the things that I'm singing about all of Never, I guess I'm never more like God than when I am singing over my son in delight, right? In the New Testament, we meet Jesus who comes to save and heal, heal his people of their sins. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And one of the first things that we learn about him, Mark chapter 1, Jesus goes into the water to get baptized, and the heavens open, and the Father speaks and says, you are my beloved son. You bring me great joy. Now let's talk about the gospel for a minute. Do you want to know, do you want to know what the gospel is about? This whole life, death, resurrection of Jesus, all of these things. All of these things are about you hearing from the Father the very same thing Jesus heard from the Father. You are my beloved daughter. 
You are my beloved son, and you bring me great joy. In John 15, Jesus is eating a last supper with his friends. And he says, I have told you these things so that you'll be filled with joy. That's not what he says. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Jesus was the only human who ever knew how to suck every last good drop out of life. Nobody was more joyful than Jesus. Nobody savored every beautiful moment more than Jesus. Nobody knew the beauty of life more than Jesus. Nobody partied like Jesus. Do you know what they were always saying? He can't be the Messiah. He drinks too much. He can't be the Messiah. He eats too much. He can't be the Messiah. He eats meals with sinners. Why? Because he's glad to be with them. We'll come back to that. Jesus lives a perfect life. He dies a sinless death. Why? Hebrews says, for the joy set before him. What is the joy? So that we can be with him and he can be with us. It's like the Lord is underpinning everything that I'm saying, and I love it. (laughs) He did all of this to deliver us the promise of Revelation 21, which we just sang about. God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. You know why heaven will be good? We will be unfiltered and unfettered in our gladness to be with God and God's gladness to be with us. If heaven is good to you for any other reason, what you want is not heaven. You just want one long vacation at the end of your life as a reward for being a good person. He's coming after it today, people. The Bible talks about God being near us. It can't help but connect that to joy. Now look with me at Psalm 16. Psalm 16. Verses 7 through 11. David says, I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night my heart instructs me. Why? I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way or path of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forevermore. So here's what David does. David celebrates God's faithful, loving presence in this life right now, verses 7 and 8. He guides me. He's always with me. But then he turns to talk about eternity. The life after this. He says, you're going to show me a path of life. I'm not going to rot in the grave. I will experience the joy of your presence forever. I read, um, I went to Bible college. I had to read all of the Old Testament in a semester. I survived. Okay, you're good. It's it's possible. It's doable. Um, And and I read it in the English Standard Version. And so sometimes I, uh, it's kind of in my head as English Standard Version, even though I tend to preach out of New Living. And in the English Standard Version, it says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. In your presence there is fullness of joy. What does that mean? That word presence uh, in Hebrew, which is the original language of the Old Testament, that word presence is the same word for face or countenance. It's like he's saying, we're just going to spend forever with your face looking on us with joy. We're going to spend forever knowing. Let me, let me, it gets better. One more. Number six. If you've got your Bible, go to number six. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Numbers chapter 6. And there's this little line, these little, these little verses called the priestly blessing. The priestly blessing. Now, if you were in high school choir, you sang this, right? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And be gracious to you, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now those words, face and countenance, are the same word for face. It's panim. The face of God, the countenance of God. Listen to me. When he looks at you, when God looks at you, when his face turns toward you, there is a sparkle in his eye. He is filled with joy. So full that he breaks out in song. Now somebody's inner Pharisee is freaking out right now. Oh no, Kyle, don't tell them that. They got to work harder. They got to strive harder, right? You see, a God who inclines his face toward us with a sparkle in his eye, that is not what we think of when we think of God. We usually think of God as somebody very serious. Possibly be even very angry. Like someone that like when you're around, you walk on eggshells. Mind your P's and Q's. And if none of those things, I don't think that any of us thinks of God as, he, as like one of his qualities as joyful. Like I, I sat through systematic theology in Bible college and seminary, and we talked about God's omnipotence and his wrath and his justice and his holiness and his love, which is expressed through wrath and justice. <laughs> we did not talk about joy. Remember on Good Friday when we said the most important thing about any person is what comes to mind when they think of God? Whatever comes to your mind, when you come to God's mind, he smiles. He's glad to be with you. We're in this series on inner healing the series exploring how Jesus is glad to extend his joyful presence and power to our deepest wounds. And maybe not even to our deepest wounds. Those like places that we just stuck. Sometimes being stuck is harder than being wounded. Right? Because when we're wounded, we're like, well, at least we know why that is. If we're stuck, we're just like, stuck. So we feel helpless. We feel helpless. But Here's why we're, we're talking about brain science and joy and the Bible today is because joy is a vital element on the journey to inner healing. The journey of inner, and here's why, I'm going to tell you three reasons why this is so important. And the first is this, the journey of inner healing is a journey that we take with Jesus and it is a journey that requires trust. Joey had to trust Jesus in that moment to go where Jesus wanted to lead him, Right? 
Y'all, it is really hard to trust Jesus, really, really hard to trust Jesus if we aren't absolutely rock-solid sure that he is glad to be with us. So if we're in a low-joy environment, like right now in our marriage or in our home or in our singleness or wherever we are, if we're, uh, we're raised in a low-joy environment, odds are atta- our attachment to God is one of fear, not of love. And so that causes the journey of inner healing to stumble because... The journey of inner healing begins with recognizing that God is always, 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 always glad to be with you. When God looks at you in the midst of your sexual addiction, when God looks at you after the abortion, When God looks at you after the affair or the broken marriage, after the lies, after the deceit, he is so glad to be with you. And do you know why? It's because his kindness leads us to repentance. That's what the book of Romans says, right? God could get all up in a huff and freak out, and we'd feel some shame for a while, but we probably wouldn't repent. But if God is glad to be with us, even in the midst of our sin, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And when God looks at you in the midst of depression and anxiety, in the midst of a sexual attraction that you don't want, in the midst of grief, in the midst of perfectionism, in the midst of control, in the midst of trauma, he is always, 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 always gladder than glad can be to be with you. His face shines on you. The journey of inner healing is a journey of trust, and we're not going to trust Jesus, are we, if we're not sure that he's glad to be with us. That's the first, that's why the first thing we're talking about this. The second reason is some of us are just struggling to experience the love of Jesus. We know the facts, okay? Like, we know what's true. We know that he loves us. Uh, We know that he forgives us. We know that he offers us freedom. We can sing the songs. We can memorize the verses. We've done the Bible studies. Um, We've done the small groups. We've done all of these things. And yet somehow those facts aren't changing what's going on inside of us. And that's why I pursued some inner healing. I went to a ministry called Wellspring because I felt, I said to Steph, it feels like there is this one part of my story that the love of Jesus just isn't touching right? Come on, I'm not alone in this, okay? I I know all the facts. In fact, I know a lot more facts than most people, as I should after 10 years of mind-numbing education. I, I I know all the facts, but those facts weren't getting down into that place. And, and hear me, facts are important. The five-fold teachers in the room are getting very nervous, right? The facts are important, right? Truth is important. But what do we do when the truth isn't kind of affecting our lives, right? See, what's happening is that it's not that we're like necessarily being disobedient to the truth. It's that we're offering left brain solutions to right brain problems. So listen to what Jim Wilder says in his book, The Other Half of the Church. When we neglect right brain development in our discipleship, we ignore the side of the brain that specializes in character formation. 
Left-brain discipleship emphasizes beliefs, doctrines, willpower, and strategies, but neglects right-brain loving attachments, joy, emotional development, and identity. Ignoring right-brain relational development creates Christians who believe in God's love but have difficulty experiencing it in daily life, especially during distress. See, we experience distress and we're like, we feel like a terrible Christian. I know all these things are true. I shouldn't be worried. I know all these things are true. I shouldn't be feeling this way. I know this. I know that. You're offering left brain solutions to right brain problems, my friend. Right? When somebody is deep in grief, that is not the time to do a 10-week Bible study on grief and Jesus' ability to heal us. It is time to sit there and be glad to be with them. Right? And a lot of us are feeling really stuck. I was feeling really stuck because there was this place inside of me that I just couldn't get beyond no matter how much I knew. Right? I was offering left-brain solutions to right-brain problems. I didn't need a theology lecture. That's a left-brain solution. I needed a joyful relational experience in the presence of Jesus. And the third reason I'm telling us this is that Jesus has given us a secret superpower to experience healing and wholeness. So the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's Romans 12. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay. Now hear me. There is a cognitive, learning the basic truths of our faith piece to walking as a disciple of Jesus. Just is. Like, there are just things about following Jesus that are like, things you need to know, just like if you're going to build things around your house, there's like basic things that you need to know, which I don't know. But um, very good, much better disciple of Jesus than I am a, a disciple of home improvement, okay? Um, uh, I, I, and so there's some basic things you need to know, but, but there's this other piece of we find our places like in stuckness and God has given us a secret, kind of forgot what I was talking about there for a second, but I remember now. Um, there's this secret tool that God has given us, and it is that we can be transformed in, by the renewing of our minds, literally, physically, neurologically, biochemically. And here's what I mean about that. Um, our brains have a plasticity to them, an elasticity. They're, they're moldable. Um, and as we go through life, some parts of our brains like stop growing and some parts of our brain even shrink. And some of you are like, yeah, tell me about it. You know what I mean? Okay, I received that testimony, right? But there is one part of your brain that maintains capacity to change through your whole life and it is the part of your brain right behind your right eye that is responsible for joy. In my pastoral ministry, I've had many people tell me, most of them over the age of 70, that you can't teach old dogs new tricks, and they are wrong. You can teach an old dog new tricks. My friend Gwen, who's been living a lot of this stuff for many years, said her dad, in his like the latter years of his life, like late 70s, mid 80s, started getting into this joy stuff and started practicing it regularly. And she knew him as a vastly different person at the end of his life than at the beginning because he was flexing that joy muscle. He was flexing this, this piece here, you see? 
The reason I'm telling you this is that some of us, as we're going to go through the series, as we talk about these topics, I'm going to, we're going to name the places that you feel stuck, and you're like, yeah, I know. And sometimes what we feel like we have to do is go right at the thing, right? Like we feel like we have to be strong and go right at the thing. And actually what Jesus has done is created a way for our brains to go around the thing and therefore solve the problem, right? Now listen, like I mentor a lot of guys that are dealing with like sexual addiction, right? And I have throughout my life. Um, And that's not to say that there's not like sin to be repented of, right? There super is. But I've also sat with them around tables long enough to know that we can repent of sin and accountability partner all the time we want, but the real way to do this is to work around it by building joy, right? Uh, Because actually what we're doing in that moment is making the person more important than the problem. A lot of our ways that we handle sin in the church is we make the sin more important than the problem. Instead of saying, you're you're a person, we're going to develop your emotional relational maturity by doing some brain exercises, right? Which is actually what we're going to do before we're done here. Um, If you feel stuck today, there's like this secret power that God has put into your brain, right, Uh, that gives us the ability to be transformed. So how about we do a little learning lab about that right now? Is that good? If it's not, too bad, because you're here now. Um, So grab that handout. If you don't have a handout, could you raise your hand or grab one off the table, chair near you, something like that? You're going to want a pen. We're going to talk about how do we build this joy muscle together. Art and Pam, if I do this, what, five minutes a day, twice a day for how long? 30 days. 300 minutes over a month, five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night, you would be a radically different person. And we are. Steph and I have been practicing some of this in our house. Um, and it's been, it's been huge for us. Holden's got pens. So here's where we're going to start. Here's a great way to build joy. Here's a great way to build joy. Gratitude. Gratitude. In fact, so at our house, every night at dinner, what do we start with? What are you grateful for? And see, y'all thought you come to our house, you think, Kyle's so spiritual. He's the pastor. No, my joy levels are usually lower than I'd like them to be, and I just want to be gladder to be with you. See what I'm saying? And even Jack now at three, see, some of you come to our house, this is great. Some of you come to our house and you're like, I need to think of the joy. I need to think of my gratitude before I'm asked. May that, may, could I offer that to you as an implication that maybe there's some joy work to do then, if, if you know, like on the spot. Um, so um, gratitude is key. Jack, now three, sits down at the table, tells us what, let's talk about what we're grateful for. Usually what I say I'm grateful for is not what I'm allowed to be grateful for. He has something else for me to be grateful for. He's an oldest, he's just a first. He, I don't know, he's just, wow. Where does he get that? Um, so let's, let's just practice some gratitude right now. And here's what we're going to do. When somebody says we're, we're grateful, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make a game of this. You're going to go, woo! Yep, yep, we're doing it. So what are you grateful for? Give me, tell me something, come on. Chicken. Woo! What else? What are you grateful for? What? Flowers. Woo! Okay, what else? Air. Woo! Come on, keep it coming. I'm not done yet. The fa- if you don't like this, the faster you help me, the faster we're through it, okay? Anna. Anna. Woo. 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 Coffee. Woo. For the love of God. Woo. Morning birds. Woo. 
but not evening birds. Not at this church, thank you very much. None of those. One more, one more, one more. Woo, Sunday dinner. See, that was a little game. You enjoyed that more than you wanted to. Okay, so that's one way to build joy is gratitude. Another way to build joy is through appreciation. I would call appreciation gratitude multiplied by the power of your five senses. Okay? So it's, it's not just thinking of something you're grateful for, but then recalling all of the things that were so good about that. So, um, and I like to title my gratitude, my, my appreciations. So this one is called, um, this appreciation of mine is called the Pokey Puppy at Lake Chautauqua. Okay? So um, we go to Lake Chautauqua about once a year as a family. It's where we honeymooned. Uh, we took Jack up for the, for the first time. He's probably like eight or nine months old. Tiny little nugget. We bought him a book at the Chautauqua Institution uh, bookstore because it was open to the public that day. And we got him like a pokey puppy golden book about pumpkins and things fall. And so I'm sitting, uh, I'm sitting there reading to him that night before I lay him down. I'm usually responsible for bedtime except when I'm not. Um, so I'm holding him and we're at Lake Chautauqua in this house that we stay in and I can smell how it smells. It smells like a lake house, you know how they do. And there's a sump pump under the floor because it's so near the lake. So about every 30 seconds you hear like a And I can hear that and I can look out the window and there's like the moon on the water. Um, and we're in this place that we just love to be in and there's my Jack and he's like up on my chest reading and I can like feel him breathing and he, oh my, we're snow snuggled up, I'm reading him this book and that is appreciation. See? So I want you to take 90 seconds and I want you to do an appreciation. So um, take 90 seconds, think of a memory and write down every, all of your senses that go with it. All right? On your market set, go. Take about 20 more seconds. I know that's as fast. Your assignment is to share your appreciation with somebody before the end of the day even while you're driving home or talking to a friend later today. It's really good to share them. We're going to share a different kind in a minute, okay? Um, 
uh, and with gratitude by the, and, and let me just tell you real fast too, like the more anxious I am, for a lot of years I thought I was a bad Christian because I really struggled to interact with God in prayer. Um, and so I thought I just like needed to, like, and one of the things I've actually found is that I just, before I go to prayer, I need to build joy. So very often, I, the more stressed I am, usually I'll start prayer with just some gratitude. It's as if God knew what he was doing when he said, don't be worried about anything, but pray about everything with Thanksgiving, right? Because Thanksgiving gets our brains turned on. Um, and I'll often do some appreciation exercises too. And I found when I do that, bam, am I able to connect with God so much better? Instead of like shooting on myself and I should be a better Christian, these kinds of things. Um, it's also why some of you, I mean, in our marriage, and even as I disciple some of you, I mean, Heather got on our heddle call a couple weeks ago, had, a, had found some really bad news that afternoon, and I was like, congratulations, you get to write a list of 10 things you're grateful for. Um, the more stressed we are, the more gratitude we ask of each other, because it turns our brains back on, right? Um, it's one of the most annoying questions my wife asks me, to be honest with you, in certain moments. What are you grateful for? I don't really care. Like, you know. Um, so the last one we're going to do, and we're going to kind of do this as response time. So I'm going to have Julia and the team come up. This last one is called like an interactive gratitude, texting with God, something like that. Okay, here's what I want you to do in this one. While they play for a minute, I want you to just write down something on the bottom of the page. God, today I'm thankful for the morning birds or whatever, you know, Anna, whatever it is. And then I want you to listen for God's response and you just write back as if in the first person, as if you were writing on behalf of God, right? Not because you are God, but just because we can do that. Um, an example for me, and this was a longer one I did, but a, a few weeks ago I was at the Cortland Library and just doing some journaling and I was just feeling so heavy for a lot of people in our spiritual family that were experiencing a significant amount of spiritual warfare, just crazy. And so I started with, I could have started with, God, pray, be with this person, this person, this person, this person, help this person. And actually where I started was, God, thank you so much that you are a loving and protective father. And I sat there for just a few seconds and I felt like the Lord said, Kyle, I love you. And I'm so glad to protect you and those you love. And then it kind of went on from there. There was this whole long thing. Um, but that's all I'm looking for today. So while the band plays, God, today I'm grateful for it. And then, dear child of mine, what does he say back to you? Okay? So we'll just take a couple seconds.
about 30 more seconds. I know that's fast. We were in a training environment a couple weeks ago doing just this kind of stuff. It's kind of what sparked the series. Um, and we were, did this exercise. And Holden looked up and was like, I have not connected that strongly and deeply with God in a long time. And all we're doing is using the part of our brain he gave us. Now, would one or two of you be willing to share what you just heard from the Lord? Jan. Jen, could you just share like share what you wrote like today I am thank like God I'm thankful for and then he said dear child of mine just those two things I wrote that I was thankful to be surrounded by a loving family hmm. and I felt like God said I have given you that family and I've surrounded you with that family because for those who love you because I am love hmm. Just to offer a confirmation that almost exact was what somebody heard in the first gathering today, which was pretty cool for them. One more. Mitch. Um, I had, this morning I kind of was thinking a little bit and about why be glad to have certain things in our lives but basically uh, I just said thank you for mental illness mm -hmm. um, and then he responded and said I am with you through all of it mm -hmm. so no matter how scary it may be and stuff like that uh, there's a reason that you have it <laughs> mm -hmm. it's for his glory mm -hmm. so. This is your brain on joy. Just a little plug. Art and Pam are going to be leading a group on these things. So if you're hearing this and going like, I think I need some of this in my life. I think one of the strongholds in our area is just low joy. So Jesus gathered his closest friends to himself and he said, I've so longed to eat this Passover meal with you. I think that was Jesus saying, I'm so glad to be with you. And so he took some bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's, it's an assurance that I'm so glad to be with people, even sinners. And so he said, eat this meal as often as you do in remembrance of me. Remember that I'm so glad to be with you. That's why we come to the table every week to meet the Jesus who's glad to be with us.